Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about Paracelsus. Now that's not his given name. He was born Philippus Aurelius Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. Are you okay. serious? <laughs> that is... Really? Dude, that is... That, I find that extremely disrespectful. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. It's Actually, some, some people excellent. think that the word bombastic yeah. comes from his name. Really? But it's not actually... No. That's, that's a myth. But, okay. but still. But partially because he had a huge ego. But anyway, so he was born from 1493 to 1541 and uh, was Swiss-German. Okay, so he's a Renaissance physician, botanist, alchemist, astrologer, hermeticist, and neoplatonist. And a man man about town. Boy, he's had a huge resume. That covers everything in this podcast. (laughs) Wow. um, Yeah, Paracelsus means equal to or greater than Celsus, which Celsus refers to a Roman encyclopedist, Aulus Cornelius Celsus from the first century, known for his tract on medicine. So a very famous guy in his time as well. Now, again, this, this kind of shows his overbearing ego that would, that would get him in trouble many, many times. Uh, he studied medicine at the University of Basel, later moving to Vienna, and he gained his doctorate degree from the University of Ferrara around 1515. His wanderings as an itinerant physician and sometime journeyman minor took him through uh, nations as, such as Germany, France, Spain, Hungary, the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, and Russia. He got around. Uh, after so many issues with other physicians, he had a reputation, by the way, for being very arrogant. Did we mention that already? Yeah, yeah. he had an ego the size of Texas and was kicked out of, uh, of the faculty at the University of Basel and the University of Leipzig, uh, refusing to print his work. So uh, in essence, when they asked him to publish or perish, he decided to perish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was kicked out. He wandered um, further throughout Europe, Africa, and Asia Minor, some say in, in India as well as the Holy Land, in pursuit of hidden knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was a traveling, traveling man. Uh, he yeah. revised old manuscripts and wrote new ones, but had trouble finding publishers, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> in 1536, the great surgery book, which is known as Travis. Die Kose und Arznei. Thank you very much. I don't much. know what your problem was I, with I'm that. Having, you know, German is just not my native Jeez, tongue. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Great Surgery Book was published and uh, enabled to him to regain his fame. So that really brought him back mm-hmm. to what everybody knew. Uh, he died at the age of 48 of natural causes. His remains were buried according to his wishes in the cemetery at the church at St. Sebastian in Salzburg. Uh, his remains are now located in the tomb in the porch of the church. Yeah, I was just in Salzburg and did not know that. It's a beautiful but, city, yeah. uh, but uh, I, evidently his uh, eternal home. Yep. So we've seen this before. Um, when someone gets labeled an alchemist, and especially in the field of medicine, they normally the things they have in common is that they, they scrapped the old books 
and went out into the field and did their own things. This was, you know, we, we talked about this in Albertus Magnus, Al-Ghazali, so they all have this in common that they just, that experience and expertise is better than books, okay? So he's, it, what's interesting is this, his life is connected to the birth of Lutheranism. So this is in the time of the Reformation. His opinions on the nature of the universe are better understood if you understand that, you know, the context of this religious movement and, and these ideas circulating around in, in, in his lifetime. So, for instance, he thought, like I just said, like experience and expertise is better than knowledge. And he even went so far as burning the book of Avaseni. So he has that in common with Al-Ghazali. I don't think Al-Ghazali burned the books, but he definitely was anti-Avaseni. Um, so, you know, if you want to hear more about that, listen to the Al-Ghazali podcast. And um, another thing he did that was kind of, again, kind of related to this Lutheranism is that he taught in German instead of Latin. A, a, key, a key part to the whole uh, Reformation aspect of taking, uh, taking uh, the language to the people uh, and, and this time speaking in the, in the native tongue of German. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his hands-on experience got him a re- reputation as a magician, okay? And this is, I mean, he was actually against magic, but um, this is just like Albertus Magnus. Um, so can I plug another show? Uh, you, can. <laughs> you should, <laughs> if you want to hear more about that, listen to the Albertus Magnus podcast. Um, so as a physician of the early 16th century, Paracelsus held a natural affinity with the Hermetic, Neoplatonic, and Pythagorean philosophies central to the Renaissance, a worldview exemplified by Marsilio Ficino and Pico della Mirandola. Paracelsus rejected the magic theories of Agrippa and Flamel in his Archidoxes of Magic. Now, Flamel will do a podcast on because he's kind of the quintessential alchemist. In fact, if you watched Harry Potter, he Nic- is... Nicholas Flamel. Nicholas Flamel no is... No kidding. Albertus Dumbledore's uh, friend, or yeah, it's like he's he was still alive in the movie Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, because he was were, living forever. Is that right? Yeah, because yeah. he had the he had the elixir of life. He had he needed the Philosopher's Stone to make the elixir of life, which is not quite canon alchemy, but but I'll allow it. <laughs> um, no, I do. You're bringing back memories now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that yeah. Uh, and he he uh, would later when he gave up the stone. He, he was going to die of natural causes. Yeah, so I but he, he, but he said life. that he had like enough for like 200 more years or something, so it wasn't a big deal, yeah. something like that. But you're kind of outing me as a Harry Potter fan here. Uh, uh, did, was I've, not my intention. I've uh, seen the movie the several times. Down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was, so yeah, so anyways, he's from Harry Potter fame. And, and uh, again, Paracelsus was against this guy. So he, he thought that this guy was too into the occult. Um, Paracelsus was more feet on the ground, you know, doing the research. So he does often write in alchemical languages and terms, but when he mentions transmutation, he's like Al-Ghazali. He, it means turning a weak soul into a healthy one, okay? And in his case, specifically, turning ingredients into medicine. Now, this is revolutionary. We'll talk about this in a second. So this is transmu- transmutation. Yep, is, which yep. we talked about before, which mm-hmm. is uh, almost a key element to the concept well, of alchemy. In this sense, yeah, I mean, in this sense, transmutation is a word of turning flour, eggs, milk, and water into cookies, okay, or oh, and sugar if you want them to be sweet. I mean, this is this is you know turning ingredients into medicine, or this is you know in in that kind of sense of turning one thing into another. Chemistry is full of transmutation, but so he wasn't totally feet on the ground. And this is common for the time. He based his medicine in astrology. So 
you know, you can't do certain things unless a certain planet is in a certain constellation or a certain phase of the moon or whatever. He also invented an alphabet called the Alphabet of the Magi to write angelic names on talismans, which had healing power. So while he may have revolutionized medicine in some way, he still clung to some old beliefs in other ways, which, again, was very normal at the time. So this leads us to the three substances. Uh, the three substances we'll talk about in one moment, but I'll give you an idea that uh, Paracelsus believed in the Greek concept of four elements, uh, but he also introduced the idea that, in another level, the cosmos is fashioned from three spiritual substances, the tria prima, mercury, sulfur, and salt. And what, what this will sound all very familiar to those who have looked in, into alchemy or listened to the show before. Uh, we've talked about this ad infinitum, that these substances were not just the simple substances that we recognize today, but were rather broad principles that they gave to an object in both inner essence and outer form. So mm-hmm. what we think of in this idea of, of uh, tria prima, mercury, sulfur, and salt are not actually mercury, sulfur, and salt but representative of something else. Great. So mercury represented the trans, uh, transformative agent of fusibility and volatility. Sulfur represented the binding agent between substance and transformation, uh, flammability, for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah. And salt represented the solidifying and substantive agent, fix, fixing things together and non-combustibility. Mm-hmm. All right. So, for example, when a piece of wood is burnt, the product reflects its constitution. Smoke reflects the mercury, flame reflects the sulfur, and ash reflects the salt. And there's, you know, you still see the elements. There's, there's air, earth, fire, and water in there. So it's, it's kind of addition to those, right? It's all coming together. Yeah. The Trima Prima also defined the human identity. Sulfur embodies the soul, the emotions, and the desires. Salt represents the body. And mercury epitomizes the spirit, imagination, moral judgment, and the higher uh, mental f- uh, faculties. So uh, by understanding the chemical nature of the tria prima, the physician could discover the means of curing all disease. He stated that he would not he was not after gold or silver, which sounds neoplatonic, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But after maybe a grander idea. Mm-hmm. Right? So transmutation. Again, something that's been uh, part of the, the common thread going through alchemy. Cloth to paper, wood to coal, but also metal to stone and stone to coal. So, um, Which doesn't, you know, some of those, yeah, cloth to paper, sure. But on the other hand, metal to stone, what? what, what? So they, they clearly, um, they believed in a simple concept like uh, water and flour is dough, but they also had some weird ideas of, um, and this goes back to mining and, and, you know, if you find ore in stone, they, they, they might think that it's just not ripe yet. So not all the stone has turned to gold. Or you find, um, le- like, some of these alchemist ideas come from that, I think I've mentioned this before, but in, in, a, in a mine, when you find gold ore, there's some lead in there. Or if you find um, copper ore, there's some silver in there. So, uh, like Michael Sedzivoy, he took this to the next level and said, well, it's just, you know, it's not ripe yet. You know, you can see in nature how lead is turning to gold, you just need to find out how nature does it and transmutate this. So, you know, he did he did ascribe to those 
philosophies. He just wasn't after that. He was a doctor. He was a medical, a medic at, at heart. Um, so he still wrote about these alchemist ideas of calcination, sublimation, solution, putrefaction, distillation, coagulation, tincture. If you do any reading of alchemy, these words just come up and up, you know, over and over again. This is like if if you're reading a recipe to how to make gold, these are the words that they use. In fact, this is this is from him. So uh, he wrote about the philosopher's stone and. Uh, this is kind of paraphrased because it's it's very strange sounding if you just read it. But basically, Adam had all the knowledge. And this comes back to esoteric knowledge, like hidden knowledge, okay? So Adam had all the knowledge in the Garden of Eden. He wrote it down on two t- tablets in hieroglyphs. Noah took one of the tablets to Armenia after the flood. And this already somewhat diluted knowledge was taken up by four people. One became an astronomer. One became a magi. One a Kabbalist and one an alchemist. So Abraham took it from Canaan to Egypt where it spread, okay? And then Moses comes into play because now he pegged Moses as a Kabbalist, but okay, um, and, and even as someone that could foretell stuff by, you know, using Kabbalistic numerology. Um, he also had Hermes as one of these Egyptian prophets and even Zoroaster or Zarathustra. So he describes how to make the Philosopher's Stone using salt, sulfur, mercury, by continually heating sulfur. But again, take this as a very kind of, uh, you know, double meaning and, and, you know, hidden hidden meaning kind of thing. You break down the compounds to their elements until you get liquid gold, which, you know, that's, um, in, in his case, he sees medicine closer to the elixir of life. So liquid gold more like the elixir of life rather than philosopher's stone. And um, astrology is important to this, like, some steps of these processes, like in making medicine, you can only do under certain conditions, like certain zodiac signs, certain phases of the moon. Um, otherwise, and you know, he writes that otherwise you're just wasting your time. While I'm reading this, so while I'm reading all these kind of strange things, at the same time, and his ego comes back into play, he's discrediting other occultists. So he's saying, do this, but not like Ramon Lowell did, ha ha ha, or Albertus Magnus, no. And then, but doing this and this and this, but not like Thomas Aquinas believes, or, or Geber, or, you know, you get the point. Like he's just, you know, in his writings, he's just mocking all the other alchemists. Right mid-sentence, mid, mid um, you know, mix the flour and water, but not like Ramon Lowell, not like Betty Crocker, ha <laughs> ha, are you kidding me? So it, it's, it's kind of interesting. His own PR agent, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he got in a lot of trouble. But I would put forth the argument that he definitely did some real contributions to science, which is what piqued my interest in the first place. Okay, so for instance, zinc. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what people don't know might not know uh, unless you're in in these inner circles of thought uh, is that he is also credited for giving zinc its name, calling it zincum. Mm-hmm. All right. That's based on the sharp pointed appearance on uh, of its crystals after smelting it, and uh, the old German word zenke. Is that right? Zinke. I was close, right? Sure. Zenke sure. uh, for the for the word pointed. I'll allow it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um healing uh healing wounds. And we talk about uh the idea of how we could take this knowledge base to the the world of medicine, mm-hmm. right? And and uh uh using it for um the science of of uh, maybe healing people. He used experimentations in learning about the human body, which at the time still was probably very hard to get this information together, mainly because of the religious belief systems of of being able to uh 
what people would call desecrating a body, getting more information about the body by doing autopsies. Well, this is where the Reformation, you know, right? Comes back exactly. Into play. So, so people were actually uh, still gaining a knowledge base on this. So, using this new knowledge base, he would use experimentation and learning about the human body uh, that was uh, a little bit taboo at the time, without being able to do autopsies. Uh, because that was called you know, desecration of the body. So, I mean, he was getting this really new knowledge base for, for many people. Um, and he also would have hands-on experience, um, which would give him, give him more importance than some of the bookworms out there that would, mm-hmm. would, uh, would, would, would just get their knowledge from reading what was written beforehand. Maybe some of that passed on false knowledge. So mm-hmm. he actually would get, get dirty. He would get in there and yeah. get, the, get the information uh, by firsthand account. Um, and he would he would do things such as like you know when when someone had a wound he would just let it drain naturally drain or or heal itself versus taking leeches or uh, bloodletting yeah, to yeah. heal the person. Yeah. Now people were still doing that up into the into the nineteenth nineteenth century, thinking yeah. that bloodletting was. But was he had the some he had some other go, ideas. Yeah, right. Sure. Paracelsus uh, was also responsible for the creation of laudanum and opium uh, tincture. Mm-hmm. That was very common until the 19th century, but also had a lot of uh, negative effects, didn't it? Yeah, you're like you can't find it today. Or like laudanum is the thing that they would mix with uh, absinthe, you know, get you really uh, good times going. You would have these dens in, in some major cities where yeah. where people would just be wasting their life away on, so on that, laudanum. So that was laudanum, yeah. Right. It was like liquid liquid opium that you would mix in with, with drinks and stuff. Right. The, the word unconsciousness. He was credited with providing uh, the first clinical scientific mention of the unconscious with the uh, meaning of subconscious. Uh, kids sometimes get sick uh, because of something they say unconsciously imagine, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so you might say, well, I, you know, really your, your subconscious is telling you that you're sick. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I feel sick. <laughs> right? So, so it, it, that, that's something that he coined. It, what's really interesting is that he – he was revolutionary in a sense that although his medicine is based in hermeticism and astrology, right, like as above, so below, as in the microcosm, so the macrocosm, which we've heard a lot, um, he had the view that sickness is caused by an imbalance of minerals and therefore certain illnesses have chemical remedies. This is revolutionary at the time. To us, it's like, oh, well, yeah, you're sick, you take some medicine. Because up until that point, you had Hippocrates's view of sickness. So... That means that the illness was caused by one of the four humors being out of balance. Like, you know, what bile, I don't remember what they are. It's, it's disgusting stuff. Um, so any, so medicine, medicine at that point was, you know, eating certain foods or purging, bloodletting, right? Like that kind of thing it to is, get the humors back into balance. It is how far we've come in medical sciences. And, and, and more so looking at it, Travis, that a lot of our discoveries and things we, we consider sacrosanct in uh, in medical knowledge today is relatively mm-hmm. recent. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we just, th- just think about the, the not somewhat off topic, but just the study of, of the woman body. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, for, for reasons even, that you yeah. go on for another show, but I mean, the idea of gyneco- gynecological science is really, really recent. Yeah. You know, within some of our lifetimes where we're talking about some of these discoveries have, have been made. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, he really kind of started the ball rolling, didn't he? Yeah. No, I wouldn't want to be sick in the 8th century or even the 15th century. And if I were a woman, I would just never want to be sick ever um, until the 20th at least. So uh, he challenged some of the standing beliefs by saying that 
illnesses be, can be caused by outside factors. This was already revolutionary, you know. This is before the concept of bacteria. Exactly. We, we know with viruses microscope. and bacteria yeah. and all these things exist, but to them it was all, you know, an imbalance. It comes back to, you know, something happening within the body. Now, this is a, a famous saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but a, a famous saying within toxicology is the dose, the dose makes the poison. So this is a, when they say that, they're paraphrasing Paracelsus, that, you know, poisons might be one thing, but in small doses, it could be healing or medicine, okay? After his death, something arose called Paracelsianism, was a, which was a medical movement based on the theories and therapies of Paracelsus. It was prominent in the late 16th and 17th century Europe. So after his death, uh, some of these professors finally kind of gave in and saw some of his wisdom and... Um, um, so his ego had you know, dividends was, after yeah, his death. Yeah, after you know, he, some people don't get that. Some then people, he was yeah, big. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people definitely started to study his ways um, because it did uh, it did work a lot. Looking at trivia related to him, uh, I bet you know if you didn't know the name, you you probably if you think about it, you might have known the name. He's mentioned in in uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, along with Agrippa and Albertus Magnus. He's also mentioned in the Harry Potter films and in the books. Uh, if you remember, he's one of the collectible cards that comes with a chocolate frog. Uh-huh. One that jumps yep. away. You only got one good jump in him. Yep. Remember Ron said that? That's right. Uh, I took my kids to see all those movies. <laughs> this <laughs> still sticks in my head. Um, and he's mentioned also uh, in the library. You'll see his name on one of the books. And his statue is at the famous Hogwarts for witches in, in, uh, in, in Wizards. Uh, so you'll see that. Uh, he's mentioned in Moby Dick, as many other places. So his name did get around. We, you're probably more familiar with him than you think. Mm-hmm. And the bibliography tonight, um, this, uh, this text that, that I was paraphrasing, uh, where he disses all the other alchemists and, and talks smack about all the other occultists and all that, I got that from The Alchemist Reader by Stanton J. Linden. Uh, well, thanks a lot for listening tonight. Um, if you want to read more about him and uh, other alchemists, please stop by historyofalchemy.com. And we'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for future episodes, some feedback, questions, corrections. Email us at podcast at historyofalchemy.com. And you do us a huge favor by finding us on iTunes and rating the show. That bumps us up the ratings a little bit. That's a great help. We're not going to tell you to rate us at five, but if you like five... You know, if you think we deserve a five, five, rate us a five. All right. So uh, just a quick little mention as well. You know, Visit our sister uh, podcast called uh, Bohemican Podcast, and it's also located at bohemican.com. It's my website about uh, Czech history, Czech uh, pop culture, uh, Czech literature, art, sports, you name it, anything that deals with the Czech Republic, Bohemia and Moravia included, uh, it is there. And uh, I try to give you this much information from an expat's viewpoint uh, living here in the Czech Republic. So remember, we'll be back with you every two weeks, and we want to thank you very much for listening. Yep, thank you very much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.